Hello and welcome to Fourth Estate, a show about journalism. We're coming to you from Tiriciar in Sydney on Gadigal lands of your nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. I'm Anthony Dockwell. This week, a look at regional media, which has been suffering for a number of years with the loss of business models and increased syndication taking away diversity and local voices. However, there are still some green shoots with people producing news that is vital and most importantly, wanted. This week's show, Dr. Timothy Kosky, who is a researcher for the Centre of Media Transition, talks with Genevieve Jacobs, whose regional media group hosts a variety of regional online news sources that service local communities across New South Wales. Now, we know that Australia has one of the least pluralistic media systems in the world. It has one of the highest concentrations of uh, media ownership, for instance, and it experiences some challenges, for instance, in getting multiple media sources to any given audience. Uh, uh, People can often be faced with a rather limited selection of media uh, to understand their, their public. Do you think the public are aware of the, the challenges facing their media system? No, I don't think they are, Tim. I think the public are largely unaware of how extraordinarily concentrated the Australian media has become, and particularly over the last decade or more, as the media system as we knew it has collapsed inwards. I think the general public would be surprised to know that there are only a very small handful of large and mostly national media companies, that regional media in particular has lost an enormous amount of diversity, uh, and that there are very few independent media companies left in the space. Of course, that has some fairly profound political implications too, because policy is set by those who hold the whip hand. And one of the things we've certainly seen in the last few years is an increasing intent on the behalf of, I think it's fair to say, failing mainstream traditional media models to still hold the whip hand to try to dictate policy to government. So I think that that awareness is lacking in many quarters and people are often shocked to find out how few media companies there are and how lacking we are in independence and diversity. Yeah, do you think it do you think it impacts them in a way that they experience but don't necessarily aren't, aren't necessarily able to attribute to that cause? Do you think it affects their sort of daily lives, their experience of media and their society? Look, I think one of the things that certainly happens in speaking from my lifelong experience as a regional journalist is that people have certainly noticed and very much mourn and regret the loss of individual ownership and of individual authority and and uh, the, the capacity to direct news on a regional basis. You know, I started my career at the Cootamundra Herald a very long time ago when there were 15 or 20 people working in a building that was responsible for publishing five small local newspapers and it was a busy, thriving, small, independent media empire. Those days have now gone. Cootamundra, where I began, I think has a single journalist left Often what's happened is that in regional newspapers, um, most of the senior and experienced journalists have been moved on in cost-cutting because the means of production is so expensive for media these days. People who are tied to print and who are tied to broadcast medium have huge costs to contend with. The cost-cutting solution has been to strip those operations down to perhaps one journalist, even one quite young journalist. And there are multiple examples of really inexperienced young journalists being expected to produce whole newspapers for regional communities. I think that's a disgrace. I think that's something we need to remedy. But I think more than that, people are largely unaware of how that then goes on to impact the kind of news they're being told. So people see 
syndicated content that runs from all over the country. It's a familiar experience if you're in regional Australia to pick up a, a local newspaper or go onto the website and to see a story lead and think, where, where does that come from? What's what's that about? And then you open it up and you go, okay, it's from 400 kilometres away. Mm. I'm not sure what that's yeah. got to do with us anymore. So those impacts are rolling through without the general public really understanding why that is and how that situation has developed because, of course, the the old uh, traditional companies want to keep their hands pretty tightly on that territory, even if they're essentially losing the battle economically and editorially. Do you think there's a lot of the um, the component of political parallelism where the, uh, the media organizations are um, trying to leverage some of the political benefits of having these organizations? Or do you think that there's a lot more of a practical approach with the uh, concentration of media ownership where it was a solution to a problem that may or may not have worked out? Look, I think it was a solution to a problem. I think it hasn't worked out. I think there's been a definite loss of service. But I do think we also see very real effects, uh, real attempts to sort of uh, affect policy development uh, in the sector. So we certainly saw, for example, um, during the last election, uh, a campaign from ACM, um, from Australian Solidated uh, Media, to be able to um, keep a hold of government advertising. Now, that's a really key lever, and this takes a little explaining for those who are not in the middle of the sector. Government advertising for a very long time was predicated on, on print, and I'm talking about local government, New South Wales government, Commonwealth government. There were mandatory legislative requirements for government advertising to appear in print. Much of that has been dismantled in recent years. We're seeing a huge effort from the traditional mastheads to keep a hold of that revenue. It's very significant, and in regional areas, it's enough to go a long way towards sustaining the paper's operation. But, of course, the reality is that in regional areas, as in elsewhere, people are increasingly seeking out independent and diverse sources of media. And if you've got a significant chunk of the population for our operation, for example, we have more than 700,000 unique readers per month, well over that actually now, across the ACT and uh, Riverina and Illawarra, much of southern New South Wales, we don't see a lot of that advertising, but we know that an enormous chunk of the population is reading our content. So if you're a, a government advertising buyer, are you doing your job? If yeah, you're where's the disconnect? Independent media, there's a real disconnect there, and it's it's antithetical to the good spending of public money. Okay, so do you see the regional media work that you're doing? Do you see it contributing to media diversity to some extent to to maybe ameliorate some of the challenges that Australian public would unwittingly be facing in their media environment? Oh, absolutely. So we've intended from the very beginning to do fair, balanced, good, strong local journalism. One of the keys in our operation is that it will always be local. We'll always have journalists on the ground. We'll have journalists who are from that community and understand that community's issues. And that, of course, contrasts strongly with the situation I described a moment ago with often very young and inexperienced staff being just landed in regional centres and country towns. So we think that it's extremely important to take a, a balanced and centrist path. We think it's important to call people to account. One of the other outcomes with the sort of dismemberment of the regional media model has been that that space has been largely taken up by media staff in, for example, local government. So you'll have maybe one sole lone reporter on the local paper and four or five people working in the council office. Now, that doesn't call power to account. 
that doesn't expose issues, that doesn't provide vigorous, fair, balanced conversation if most of the media you're getting comes from, say, the council's own media team. And they're good people, no doubt they do their jobs well, but that's going to be promotions for your local government. So that's the kind of space that an organisation like Region can play a really strong role. We've got competent journalists. We're not hampered by the costs of production. We set ourselves high editorial standards. We hire senior staff as well as bringing on young cadets. We invest in that business model, and that gives us the capacity to make sure that the work we do is of genuine value to the community. And We were very fortunate to win a Telstra Business Award earlier this year for building communities And I think that a vigorous free press is an absolute cornerstone for building communities. On that community note, one of the challenges, when we talk about media diversity, for instance, we have the media diversity chain. So we talk about, is the diversity in the production where we have diverse reporters? Is the diversity in the content where we're getting a variety of content out there? And then there's this other key component that Napoli introduced, Philip Napoli introduced, of of in the exposure how do we get it out to people and i think a lot of organizations have reported that the challenge is how do you reach the audiences particularly given that some of the platforms where, where you might go might eat into some of your advertising revenue just for instance to disrupt your business model have you had any success in penetrating that exposure front of 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 uh getting people to diversify their diets for the media Look, I think the very key thing here is to understand how social media works and to mitigate your reliance on it as much as you humanly can. This has been a trap for many small independent startups in the media space. They've been overly reliant on Facebook. Facebook wants to keep you on Facebook or on Instagram or, you know, Meta wants to keep you wherever it is. Twitter wants to keep you on X. And in fact, what you need to do is to build customer relationship, reader relationship with the site itself, with the platform, because those big guys will muck around with the algorithm. You have no idea where you will end up. And of course, we saw this dramatically illustrated about two years ago when Facebook shut down news in Australia. Um, Region had consciously mitigated those risks for a long time. We then threw into action a much stronger reliance on our email lists, on our direct newsletters. Everything is designed to drive traffic to the site. The site is where the advertisers are. The site is where our strong local relationships are. The dollars that are coming into us are being taken away from advertising with with Meta, with X, with external social media giants. So we've been very successful in that, um, and we've certainly are constantly juggling the risk from social media. It's an important feeder channel, but it is not in our interest to rely on that overly because we we would just shoot ourselves in the foot. We've seen global examples of this happening. Um, competitors of ours, smaller media organisations that were faced with that news challenge from Facebook, all that went under as a result of having as much of 60%, 80% of their traffic directed via Facebook. We don't. We aim to have 15% or even less uh, reliant on Facebook as the direction. It matters. It's important. We do it well. We invest a lot of energy in it but we would be sunk if we were relying on social media as the major channel for our investment. And that reconciles well with the community, like in terms of does the community themselves uh, uh, support your efforts or do you find yourself having to disrupt their habits uh, to get in their faces? Is there a a meeting of the minds with the community there? 
We're very lucky that um, although Region Media was established in 2016, the Right Act Facebook's the Right Act um, platform uh, stretches all the way back to the early 2000s. So we are a familiar property in Canberra, and we're building on that reputation and integrity in Region Riverina and Region Illawarra, and our about regional uh, platform also uh, Region China. So we've we've got familiarity, we've got a reputation, we've got staff and and standards and we know how to how to do this thing but yeah this facebook seating goes on of course um you know there is interaction with social media that draws you to people's attention but with the launch of an app last year um and continuing development in that space too we want to make people not dependent on it the audience is largely very receptive to that we've got a really active comments section um, we've got a lot of engagement, much more so than people who've relied on other mechanisms to to garner audience. Ours is good old fashioned hard work. We we give people interesting stories. We do them well. We are robust. We've got a lot of integrity, and that brings the readers back, and that brings the advertisers back. I mean, I, I often say that if people trust us at the front with our content, they will trust us at the back with their dollars. It is an interesting issue with the. Uh, news comments. That is an area that is of special interest to me. Uh, if you look into news commenting literature, you'll find 1.5 people and the other 0.5 is just my name misspelled. Uh, so I, I often wonder what it is about news commenting that puts off, for instance, broadcasters very rarely include news comments on their news stories. But the research coming out shows increased time on page, increased subscription rates. Uh, what do you think it is that maybe puts some organizations off news commenting? And do you yourself, would you yourself say, this is well worth your time? Look, it's a really difficult question because it's a, a difficult field to manage and it can be a very vexed question in reality. Um, certainly what we do is a very rigorous process that we have developed over the years. So we've got a three-stage process in managing the comments. The first is AI that's developed specifically for this particular task that's constantly learning and enabling us to filter out you know, a whole range of things that are abusive um, or spam. So that's the first stage. The second stage is human monitoring, um, and that takes place within our social media team. And the third stage is the person you're looking at. So I'm I'm the person who sort of is the final court of appeal to pick up the problematic stuff. Um, we've got very clear social media policies. We have a low tolerance for abuse, but a high tolerance for free speech. So my standard is that if you genuinely believe in something and you can argue the point forcefully but respectfully and fairly, then we'll let you go with that. I would say that uh, during the period of the voice referendum, we have probably banned more people than we've ever banned in the whole of the past five or six years, and that's very disappointing. Um, those people mm -hmm. were banned for outright racism, really derogatory comments, and a particularly aggressive stance towards others, um, and that's on both sides of the debate. But I think that that one of the reasons why many media outlets shy away from this is because it does take a real investment of time to manage. And of course, everyone is familiar with the Dylan Voller case, uh, where it was held that that media organisations were, in fact, responsible for the content of posts on social media and, and elsewhere. Now, that made sense to us. We'd been doing that from the very beginning. Yeah, but yeah. it's a lot to it's a lot to manage if you haven't been, if you've just been presuming you can let people go free and go feral. The benefit, the payoff, 
is often very strong engagement. And certainly there's a core group of people who will argue in the comments and who can be fairly antagonistic and can be fairly off-putting. The counterbalance to that is brilliant storytelling that happens in the comments, often on community stories, people weighing in with stories of their own, stories that we can follow up on. Uh, One of our platforms uh, is called the Canberra Page, which has got over 100,000 followers. And often we use that to just share photographs from Canberra's history. So we'll put up a photograph of, you know, a suburb 50 years ago, um, a, a, a tennis competition, some kind of funny charity event and say, what do you know about this? Who's in this photo? What are your memories? And we will get wonderful, wonderful comments back that really enrich the sense of community, the tapestry of life as we know it. So the comments can be a gift. Region has a unique capacity to scrape those comments together and put them on the web page. So uh, we've developed some, we think, world-first technology that scrapes together comments from multiple social media sites, amalgamates them all on the website so that people who aren't in the same group of friends, who aren't on the same social media channels are talking to each other and also talking natively on the platform itself. Um, So that can also lead to some really rich comments and experiences when people who wouldn't otherwise meet each other come together on the page. It's amazing just listening to you talk about it, the extent to which that has so many implications for media diversity as well, because you're inviting these people to the conversation. Um, And it makes me think of you have quite a long history in journalism uh, that goes back some 30 years. Uh, When you look back, it's pretty clear that that transition to the online, digital, social media adjacent space affected metropolitan media very differently to how it affected regional media. Um, How do you think that this result came to be the case? And is there anything that we can do to maybe uh, help the disadvantaged side? Yeah, look, and I think that's a pertinent question, particularly as we get into more remote areas. Um, And so one of Regent's properties is the Cape York Weekly um, up at the top end. It's the only, Australia's only newspaper delivered by plane. Uh, And it's been an interesting business since we acquired that this year to, to work out what the digital engagement is, because obviously that's a very, very remote area. And I'm not talking about Cairns, I'm talking about Weeper, I'm talking about the Western Cape, um, where the population is low, there's a very large percentage of, um, of First Nations people. We were looking at the comments today, and they are brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I said to the bloke who manages our social media, wow, look at the level of engagement people have got. Because again, it's 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 news told in a balanced and fair and local fashion and getting people to have that attachment to the news site rather than simply the social media to transfer their conversations across to social media from social media to the to the site is a really powerful thing for remote communities. Yes, certainly in my time as a journalist, uh, the 30 years I've been as a, a journalist, I mean, I recall when the computers came in at the Kutamundra Herald a very, very long time ago. We would never have imagined the kind of transformation that we've seen during this sort of very rapid period. And it does run the risk that people who are out of the digital loop will lose out on their news. Something that people need to really bear in mind is that there are large chunks of Australia where you still don't have great mobile reception, where the internet, the Wi-Fi is not the automatic thing that it is in cities. And I think we have to be 
very conscious of that as an issue. It doesn't mean we should stay with newspapers, though, because newspapers, just the cost of production just doesn't make that reconcilable any longer as a business model. You advertisers in a very small country population to be able to sustain the cost of production of the paper. That's the sad truth. So we're wrestling with this. I think the answer is in more diversity. Region doesn't receive any government support. We've had a couple of grants along the way, but we're not dependent on those at all. That's been nice extras for adding some video equipment, doing a few things like that. We've been able to hire some cadets um, on the basis of some government grants. But the answer to this is not the government pouring money into supporting the media. The answer is the media finding better ways to manage this ourselves. And that's um, and that's critically important. It probably won't mean that the media in regional Australia looks like it has looked for 100 years. We need to find other solutions, but they can still be robust, balanced, fair and locally grown solutions. Okay. And that, that, that brings me to another question that I wanted to raise about some of these new, I guess, tools would be a word for it, where we take a look at social media. But now we have things like generative AI uh, and, and other kinds of cloud services that allow us new opportunities to bring different kinds of content to people. Do you think that these have helped more than hurt or do you think they invite certain risks that need to be uh, encountered? I think we're still very much at the beginning of examining how AI might or might not fit into our media operation. I think there are certainly some very big risks for people who take shortcuts and are sloppy with the work that they do. My word to our journalists has been the level of local knowledge and the investment in your writing skill will protect us in many ways from the effects of AI. So I think it's critically important to invest in that local content that AI can't and won't reproduce. People who have built their business models around constructing lists, for example, uh, of amalgamating fairly generic content and using it to sell advertising, I think there's a very problematic future for them. I think that that will be replaced easily by AI and that their content will probably be scraped easily by AI. I think where we see value in AI is probably as a research tool. Um, it's something that can perhaps prompt different questions, prompt different lines of thought. But of course, it's generative. It's all in in what you feed it. And we are so much at the beginning of that process. We did do an interesting little experiment here in the office where we fed it uh, a court story and asked AI, ChatGPT, to, um, to reproduce that as a piece of bush poetry. And the results were pretty interesting. It did that very quickly. Um, so that was a more, gee, wow, what can this thing do? Mm. Um, so I, I, I think if you're lazy, there are big traps. I think if you're clever and astute, there are effective shortcuts that will make your own end product better. But it still depends on the skill with which you do your job as a journalist and the imagination and the local knowledge that you bring to bear. I think my uh, cynicism and that phrase, if you're lazy, leaves me with a sort of um, existential terror. But nevertheless, the another new development, new-ish development, is the rise of influencers and streamers as a kind of a replacement for uh, news media that could be incidental. It obviously is being fed to people algorithmically when they visit these kinds of services. Do you see 
these influencers having a positive or negative effect on your interactions with the community? Do you interact with maybe hyper-local influencers uh, in your work, or do they invite things like misinformation that you're less comfortable with? Uh, look, in the lifestyle, lifestyle space, it's certainly useful to have contact with influencers. I will say that the field of influencers in Canberra is probably a lot smaller than it is in Sydney or Melbourne uh, or elsewhere. Um, nonetheless, uh, one of our terrific staff members is on board because she has a strong social media following. She creates beautiful lifestyle content and we could really see the value in having her um, on our on our staff. So it's it's a thing for sure. Um, I think I'd be very wary of some of the more way out there influences with particular opinions. That just goes against the grain for me as a journalist. Everything I do, I want to label opinion or editorial. I want people to be clear about what we're saying and why. I want people to be able to back up what they're saying with facts. Uh, so that is the work, the important work of, of any editor, content director, to know that the content you're putting out is robust, it's clear, it's well-grounded and it's well-founded because that stops the problems in their tracks. So I would be really hesitant about influencers who had a lot of followers but were doing that on basically clickbait lines. I don't want to get involved in that. Region doesn't do clickbait. That's not who we are. Um, our, our following is based on us knowing what's going on in our local community and being an accurate and fair mirror of that. Um, I'm struggling to think of what clickbait would even be for us. I guess, um, you know, we ran a story last spring that was about how echidnas form trains at the local wildlife reserve. Um, we call them echidna sex trains. And that's um, echidnas in Madison. That's not clickbait. That's just objectively neat. Exactly, exactly. Um, wombat fostering, that kind of stuff. That's our version of the clickbait. I don't go for that stuff because I want people to be able to open up region and go, this is good content. I trust these people and I'm willing to talk to them. All right, all right. One thing that I would just, I guess, kind of rounding out the session, do you think there is anything that any group, uh, including the regional media providers, but also, for instance, government or citizens groups or think tanks, whoever, is there anything that any group can do to help regional media thrive or thrive better if you if you have an optimistic position? I think one of the things that people need to realise is that there are 8 million people in regional Australia. That's before we even get to the outer suburban areas. I've been involved a lot over the past couple of years in advocacy um, and with organisations of independent publishers. I go into those rooms and I see a lot of great imaginative people talking to advertisers, telling their story, and so much of it presumes that everyone lives in the middle of a big city. So I look at the areas that we work in here in Canberra, which has got a thriving economy. One of the reasons why we went to Riverina is that it is the intersection of a huge number of major infrastructure projects. The community is booming. It will go from 60,000 to 100,000 in the next 20 or 30 years. I think a lot of people are missing out on the power of the regions. I think they're missing out on the work that needs to be done communicating with people. That upsets me in lots of ways as someone who's been a regional person all my life, but I would like to see a real recognition that there's a big, strong, passionate audience out here. It's a little different from the audiences in the city. 
And one of the things that often happens is we'll get we'll get stuff that people think works well in the city and you, you kind of get a sense, oh, the regions will just be grateful to have it. No, we won't. Have a look at us. See who we are. Value us for who we are. Understand our differences and celebrate those. And there's a ton of people out here with great stories to tell. There's a wild disconnect, again, that word disconnect, between when you talk about those numbers for Canberra, 100,000 people in Canberra, and people will say, oh, well, somebody with the name Taylor Swift that's not even the real Taylor Swift will have a bigger following on Twitter, and somehow fail to understand that in Canberra, which is not New York City, that is an incredible number of people. That's an incredible portion of the community. Do you have a way to overcome that internet distortion of numbers where people will say, oh, that's only 500 people in a community that has 500 people, where that's just absolute maximum engagement? How do we overcome that sort of uh, number shock where regional communities can have very, very successful uh, uh, outlets that are reaching most of their community, but on paper, it looks like it's small? So look, uh, the 100,000 is Wagga, not Canberra. Canberra's population is 450,000 and we're growing. We're one of the fastest growing centres in Australia. So Wagga currently 60, going to 100. I do take your point, though, about the the disconnect and the lack of understanding um, that there can be a lot more economic forces being marshaled in those regional centres and their outlying areas uh, than people in in cities realise or understand and look, you know, let's be frank. I mean, Sydney is a world city. Uh, Melbourne will become one. Nowhere else in Australia is. Everywhere else in Australia, by comparison to many, many European and North American cities, indeed South American cities, is is tiny. So I think what you need to look at is the economic activity is a really important measure. What's going mm-hmm. on in that place? Where does it draw from? What's happening there that has application more widely? A great frustration through my career as a regional journalist has been people looking at either big national disasters, sort of epic bush, tiny, really cute stories that I call the stories. Um, I think there is a complete lack of focusing on the middle ground, which is the everyday activity of many regional communities and the stories there are to be told there. So I, I take your point about the numbers disjunction. But, you know, as I said, there are 8 million people in regional Australia. If you're an advertiser and you want to ignore 8 million people, I think that's a little short-sighted. I think that's not necessarily very economically responsible or thoughtful of you. Mm. So maybe it's taking the blinkers off and saying, what in this community has economic activity that makes sense to me and my market? We're also very aware that there's a whole range of people in the regions the banks, the airlines, the universities who are all deeply interested in regional Australia. The agricultural industry is an enormous industry and it's very, very tech heavy these days. A lot of people have missed that out completely. So the opportunities there, just, you know, take the glasses off and have a look at us. And you've been listening to Dr. Timothy Kosky, who is a researcher for the Centre of Media Transition, talking with Genevieve Jacobs. And thanks for listening to the program. This edition was recorded at the studios of Tourist Yar and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. Wolf Estate is produced with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Thanks to the Foundation for their continuing support. Make sure you subscribe to Fourth Estate on your favourite podcast app so you can hear us talk about media, politics and a lot in between. We'll be back with more next week, but in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter. Our handle is Fourth Estate AU. 
and we're also on threads. I'm Anthony Dockwell. Thanks for listening. <laughs>